Hello, welcome to Workplace Wake Up. I'm Jen Shaw. Every week, I spend about 15 minutes covering legal developments, introducing you to interesting guests, and providing some entertainment to start your workday. So we're going to talk about an interesting issue that comes up all the time for us. The interaction between workers' compensation and employment laws. Now, there are a lot of misperceptions about workers' comp. And I want to talk about that because I think a lot of our clients and a lot of employers get confused when they get employment law advice from their workers' compensation carrier. All right? Sort of like getting employment law advice from your accountant. Not a good idea. We all need to be in our lane and stay in our lane, right? So let's talk about workers' comp. By the way, I love accountants. We have a ton of good clients who are accountants. But one of them called me yesterday, which got me thinking of this, and said, Jen, I have these clients who keep wanting me to give them employment law advice. Should I do it? And I said, well, you, you can. If you know, that's fine. But I always refer them to you for accounting advice because, I mean, first of all, taxes are sort of above my pay grade. Um, And second of all, it's just not my area of expertise, and I don't want to be giving any advice on things that are not in my area of expertise. So we're going to talk today about workers' comp and employment laws. Now, there's an obvious reason why these two laws are connected, right? Workers' compensation laws, the workers' compensation program, applies when an employee is injured or becomes ill because of work, right? So they're either injured at work or they become ill because of work. So there's this whole system of workers' comp that applies when you're talking about someone who either needs to get treatment or may need time off because of workers' comp. So what many employers think is, oh, well, if somebody's injured at work or they become ill because of something that has happened at work, we're going to just allow the workers' compensation program to deal with everything that comes up. And I'm going to sort of forget about my employee handbook and my leave of absence policies and my time off policies and everything else. I'm just going to let it be dictated by workers' comp. That's a mistake. And let me tell you why. First of all, if somebody is missing work, whether it's a work-related reason or not, you have to think about things like, is it covered by pregnancy disability leave? Is it covered by FMLA or the California Family Rights Act? Do they have a disability for which they may be entitled to leave as an accommodation? So just because workers' comp is involved doesn't mean you get to avoid everything else that comes up or that may apply when it comes to having employees report to work. So let me explain a little bit more. When you look at the laws that apply to employees, particularly with respect to leaves of absence, you have to remember that it doesn't matter why the person is injured or where they were injured or why they're ill or whether work had anything to do with it, okay? If they're entitled to the FMLA CFRA because they have a serious health condition or they're caring for someone who has a serious health condition or they need bonding leave or, you know, military leave, whatever it is, All of those rules apply even if somebody has a workers' compensation claim. And here's why it's so important. Somebody could be on leave due to workers' comp. By the way, there's no such thing as workers' compensation leave of absence, okay? 
Nothing in the work workers' compensation laws and the California Labor Code provide for any sort of leave of absence. That's a huge misperception that people have. No such thing as a workers' comp leave of absence. But if somebody is out of work, they're off work because of a workers' comp-related reason, you have to be sure they receive all of the benefits to which they may be entitled, which would include FMLA, CFRA leave, or potentially leave as a reasonable accommodation. Remember, what the workers' compensation does is provide temporary disability payments and sometimes retraining relating to occupational illnesses or injuries. It doesn't mean that you don't have to provide other statutory protections to those folks. That's a big issue that comes up for employers because somebody may be out for six months, for example, due to a workers' compensation injury. They come back and now they want 12 weeks of FMLA CFRA to bond with a new child. And you're thinking, well, heck, they just got back. They've, they've been gone for six months. Well, if you didn't run that FMLA CFRA concurrent with their workers' compensation claim, right, with them being off work because of workers' comp, you're out of luck. So that's the first issue I want you to think about. The second issue relates to accommodations. We all know that we have an obligation as an employer to accommodate somebody's disability, right? Whether they're an applicant or they're an employee. Now, obviously, it's just a reasonable accommodation, all right? So here's the problem. Let's say I come to you and I tell you that I was injured on the weekend in a roller skating accident. I went to the roller skating national championships. I almost won, but I fell and I busted my leg and I want time off. You're going to say, okay, well, let's see if you're eligible for time off, Jen. You'll go through statutory leave. You'll look at whether I have a disability. I do because it's going to be hard for me to walk with a broken leg. And now we're going to figure out what accommodations you might give me. And I might say to you, you know, I, I do want time off. But after a couple of weeks of that, what I want to do is I want to come back to work and I don't want to do my regular job. I want to be able to just kind of sit and do some busy work because I won't be able to do my regular job since I have this broken leg but I, I don't want to not get paid. So I want you to bring me back to work and I want you to give me some busy work. Now, hopefully you're all thinking, are you kidding me? We don't have to do that. If you're going to come back to work, you have to be able to perform the essential functions of your job with or without reasonable accommodation. If you're telling me you can't do your job, you just want to sit there and count paper clips, that's not going to work. And you'd be 100% right unless if I come and tell you I hurt myself at work and I have a broken leg and the workers' compensation carrier encourages you to bring me back to work by providing a modified duty program, okay? They tell you, we don't care what Jen does. Just let her sit there and count paper clips. Get her back to work. That'll keep your mod rate, your premium rates down on your workers' comp. Many, many employers do this. They have a um, modified duty program, they bring people back to work when they've had occupational injuries or illnesses, and they don't make them do their regular job. I have a retail client where the folks who are on modified duty literally sit and prepare hangers with clothes on them, right? Which is nobody's job. Like it's kind of everybody's job, but nobody's job. 
But if you have workers' comp injury and you return to work, your job is to sit in the fitting room and get the hangers organized and put things back on the hangers. Um, if you can get up, if you can't get up, you can just sit there and answer the phone. So you're not performing the essential functions of your job. The reason employers do that is because workers' compensation carriers encourage them to provide those programs to keep their benefits down. But here's the rub. If you're going to provide a modified duty program to people who have an occupational injury or illness, you got to provide the same thing to everybody else. So if you've got a modified duty program, you've got to look at that and say, okay, well, whatever I'm doing for the people who were injured at work, I got to do the same thing for similarly situated people who weren't injured at work. Your carrier won't tell you that. They're not thinking of it. They're not doing it on purpose. It's just not in their lane, right? They're focused on workers' comp. You have to know your obligation to treat employees consistently and similarly if they're similarly situated, right? Here's another misperception. I can never fire someone who has a workers' compensation claim. Baloney, of course you can. You ignore the workers' compensation claim and you say, would I be firing them in the absence of that claim? or writing them up, or transferring them, or whatever it is we're talking about you doing. There's no special protection that comes because someone has a workers' compensation claim. I've had clients say, yeah, I've had Tom on leave for five years for a workers' compensation claim. And I say, why? The law says you don't have to do it for that long. It's not reasonable. What are you doing? Well, you know, it's workers' comp. Or they say, yeah, we pay for our employees who have workers' comp injuries to go to their doctor's appointments. We don't pay for other employees, of course. But if they have a workers' comp injury, we pay for them to go to the doctor. You can't do that if you're not going to do it for everybody. And if you have a legitimate reason to let somebody go, you let them go. You're reorganizing. Or because they ask for additional time off and you determine it's not a reasonable accommodation. They've already taken too much time off, so they're not entitled to take more time. That's a reasonable determination that you can make as the employer. Now, there is Labor Code Section 132A that you need to think about. California Labor Code Section 132A. What does it mean? That law protects employees from retaliation for making a workers' compensation claim. So if you were to say to me, Jen, Really, your leg is broken? You broke it at work? That is so dumb. How did you do that? I'm going to have to fire you because you're a liability. Okay, that's a big problem. And that's going to be a 132A violation, a labor code uh, section 132A violation. All right. I'm, you're retaliating against me because I made a workers' compensation claim. But if you tell me, Jen, you've already been off work for nine months and you've asked for another year and it's not reasonable for us to give that to you, and you separate my employment for that reason, I may file a 132A claim, but I'm not going to win. I always tell employers, don't be guided in your employment-related decisions by what's going on in workers' comp. If you separate somebody who has an open workers' compensation claim, they're still going to get to have that claim. That separation doesn't affect what's going on with their workers' compensation claim. Okay. Now, the last thing I want to tell you about is when you settle a workers' compensation claim, many times you're going to want the employee to resign. All right. 
Now, that's not the case for, for a small claim. But if you have somebody who's maybe been out for six or nine months, it's been really hairy, you've paid a lot of money, you might decide you want them to resign as part of the settlement process. That's perfectly appropriate. But there are processes you have to follow to make that work. A workers' compensation settlement, which is called a compromise and release, is not going to be a general release of claims. They'll be able to sue you for other things. So if you're going to want a general release, you need to work with your employment lawyer and your workers' compensation carrier to make sure that you've got that handled. So what I want you to remember here, folks, is although workers' compensation and employment laws are certainly related, they have different requirements, different responsibilities, and different protocols. So make sure you are very clear in your organization what you are doing and why. What does workers' comp require? What does employment law require? If you enjoyed this episode and would like to spread the word, please share it with others, post about it on social media, and or rate and review it. Of course, you can also follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, and email us at info at Workplace Wake Up, including its guests and hosts, do not provide legal advice in this podcast. Do not act upon any of the information discussed in this podcast without consulting a licensed attorney in your jurisdiction. 